0: Hey, everyone. In this episode of History Unloaded with Danny and Ashley, we are going to talk about gun lore.
1: Mythology? I don't
0: know. (laughs) Mythology. I just
1: started to say mythology, and I'm like, wait, that sounds way too nerdy.
0: But gun lore, meaning the things that we always assumed were true because... Old white guys told us so.
1: (laughs) It got set at a gun counter, so it must be true.
0: Yep, I learned it at the gun show, therefore it is true. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, kind of these stories that take on a life of their own that everybody assumes are true. And then we've had the fortunate and unfortunate opportunity in the making of the new museum to look at a lot of that lore and go, oh, crap, it's not true. (laughs) And we've been saying it for years. Um, So... Do you want to, like, talk a little bit about why this happens, Danny?
1: Um, yeah, but I just thought of another one that we hadn't talked about before we started recording.
0: Cool. Save that. Put okay. that, like, okay. little, like, a little memo in your head, and then we'll come back to it.
1: Yeah, but, like, there's all these really popular stories from history, um, firearms history. and all, all kinds of history have their own lores associated with them that people debunk. But firearms, I think it's especially prevalent just because— academic, like, digging into the archive-type history hasn't really existed. Um, you know, some people did, a few authors did, but, like, even some of those, when we go back and re-look at what they supposedly looked at, like, it's way messed up. I mean, we've been... We took a lot of flack when the museum came out that George Mattis's dates for Winchester's were oh, off by a couple years. Oh,
0: Lord, you went there.
1: I went there. Like, that one was that was... These Mattis publishes book. Here's when these serial numbers were made, and that was truth.
0: Also, um, just as a heads up, when you're a curator, uh, when I became curator, all those Mattis, like angry Mattis people, they actually come out of the woodwork and they will call you to try to like win you to their side. Just cool. fun fact. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: for those of you that don't know, um, George Mattis was an author. When did he write that book? Do you know? I don't know. know. Anyway, he wrote like the Winchester, I'll call it the Winchester Bible. It's like for many, many years, it was one of the, and it still is one of the best books on Winchester, but in this one area of the book, um, something went wrong. And when we go back and look at the ledgers, um, the serial number dates that he put out don't correspond with the actual production ledgers that we have in the archive. And, so and I when,
0: think Dan, uh, other Dan, Dan Bromley, I think he has a theory as to what happened.
1: Uh, yeah, the the working theory, the, the closest we can get, we haven't been able to figure out just what happened. Um, but it seems like maybe he talked to a production manager and just used like the last serial number of each year and made up you know, and kind of used that as his guideline to create the date list. Um, but Winchester didn't assemble serial numbers in order, so I think that messed everything up.
0: Yeah. Oh, interesting.
1: That's Dan's working theory.
0: Yeah, we trust Dan.
1: Yeah. Dan, of anybody, could have a good working theory on Winchester's.
0: Camila just gave us thumbs up, and I'm not sure what that meant.
1: I think she trusts Dan, too.
0: (laughs) I trust Dan, too. Cool, 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 cool.
1: I've actually talked to um, George Mattis' son, and his theory is that it was... um, the transcription error from, like, he took the notes and the notes were right, and then when he published the book, it got transcribed wrong. So yeah. that's another option, too.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I was thinking of another one that is, you know, overall – considered to be true we talk about it all the time. We still haven't found the ad so we don't oh, know yeah. the gun that won the West slogan. so um, herb house you know has written in his books about and in articles and things about um, the international marketing campaign in 1919 that coined the expression gun that won the West. But we're still trying to find, like, the ad that ran from that time period to corroborate that information. I mean, I trust her. But at the same time, you know, we want to find the primary source documentation that backs that up. And one of the things that, you know, kind of has occurred with gun history over the years, and you mentioned it was kind of the academic – there's not an academic vetting system. Uh, for the history books that get written because there aren't really a lot of academics writing about them. Not that their stuff would be like, is like supremely greater, but there is at least an academic vetting system um, that, you know, goes through with peer review and everything. And so we have all these books that, you know, some of them are great and some of them, I don't even know if I know if they're great because there's just, you know, we kind of have to take people's words for it because we can't look up everything that we find and we get terrified every time we actually do dig into the stuff because, It's so often that, uh, you know, we just can't find the thing that says that. And then we have to make the decision. Do you still think there's enough information to say that that's likely true or not? Mm -hmm. Um, But I think my favorite one was the work that you were doing with Matthew Moss on uh, the Burton, which is like basically that like some gun article, some gun guy, which also like I just want to say we're not hating on all white guys because I basically am one.
1: Well, and yeah, like the caveat to this whole episode is that just because it's academic doesn't like just because it gets into a journal doesn't make it true and just because <laughs> sorry, it's sorry, Camille
0: not... is dying. <laughs> <laughs> and you just like kept going.
1: I didn't have, I looked over at you and I was still still talking. And I didn't see Camille like behind the oh, monitor. yeah, she was losing dying. it. She
0: was absolutely losing it. You've just like embraced the truth to that. <laughs> that David <statement laughs> that you just like unfazed because <laughs> it is true. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways,
1: that's the caveat. Is that like just because it's theoretically an academic work doesn't make it perfect and just because it's not necessarily an academic work. I think the problem is that some people wrote really good, really well-researched gun books and other people just threw something together and on the surface they seem really similar and there's no like none of them get peer reviewed and because the academic community doesn't want to bother with gun history.
0: And they couldn't do it even if they wanted to Right. they don't have yeah. the knowledge base and the and foundation. S-
1: and so these books are just out there. And on, like I said, on the surface, they all seem the same. So it's not one is right and one is wrong. It's just because this is the system we have, it's it's left some gaps.
0: Yeah. So the Burton. So the Burton. Um, basically, um, and I wrote something for Recoil based on the stuff that you guys are working on. And Matthew's coming out with something, right?
1: Yeah. He, yeah, he's working on an article.
0: Okay. <laughs> it's like, did I just like, divulge a
1: well, super yeah. secret? No, it's not super secret, I don't think, but I also like, haven't yeah, talked to him about it in a little while. So. All right,
0: well, maybe he listens to this podcast. Yes, he does. Hey, Matt. What's up? Hey, Matt? Matt. How's that going? <laughs> uh, but basically, I mean, it was like a stereotypical gun guy article about the Burton Light Machine Rifle, which we've talked about a lot on the show. And I think we've talked about this right. a little bit on the show, maybe not as in-depth Um but in the article, it talks about how, you know, there was incendiary ammunition that was meant to shoot down, like, hydrogen balloons.
1: I think the title of the article is something like Winchester's Balloon Buster or something yeah. like that. And, like, it's it's one of those things that it is a super obscure gun for almost 80 years. This Somebody writes an article. I think the article was, like, eight, late 80s, early 90s. And as best as I could dig up, the author was basing his his article on a conversation with a curator of the winchester collection so if it was still a curator of the winchester collection it probably had to be tom hall
0: yeah so, it was cuz he yeah cuz he says uh, you know at the end of thanks to
1: but i don't think he ever names tom in the art like he he just said he
0: names her but her but only for the photos that her right provided. he names
1: her for the photos that were provided from the museum he names a curator as his source and the only curator I think it could have been would have been Tom Hall. And it was like a twenty year old conversation. Yeah. And so
0: Thanks like, for the I miss footnotes. I wish yeah. we could have footnotes. <laughs>
1: and it's you know, and it's only like a three page article. It's really short, but it's it was the sole Extent of, like, what was published on The Burden for, like, 80 years.
0: Uh, Yeah, and then we had a publication called Armax, and Mm -hmm. there was a really short blurb, Mm -hmm. and the Armax about it, that doesn't talk about balloons. Um, Right. But, you know, but then this one article that doesn't have footnotes or citations, and thanks some, you know, elusive curator at some point, which, like... (laughs) I mean, I'm a curator, and so that makes me think that. <laughs> and I, don't, I wouldn't trust that.
1: You could be kind um, of elusive. What's that? You could be kind of elusive,
0: like, right? Um, but I, <laughs> but what happened was, I like almost lost my train of thought. Was that you know then gun channels, you know, uh, you know, and I'll you know say like Ian did a video about it and references this article and other people do the same.
1: Right. And yeah, and this isn't to throw Ian under the bus. No, but no, no, because like, Ian
0: and I talked about it. That's We're, like all
1: he had to go on. You know, yeah. he's got it. He wants to do a. there's a really cool gun in the collection. He comes to the museum. He wants to do a video about it. And it's like, we don't really know. Here's yeah. the only sources we got.
0: And what's so great about Ian is that like he'll, you know, he goes off of the information that he has. And then if he figures out new information, he's yeah. always like, yeah, guys, I was wrong on that, you know. And so I texted Ian to be like, do you have anything else that we're missing? And and he didn't. But um, what you had was Dan Shuey. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you just had
0: you Yeah, had I, just,
1: I just keep Dan
0: <laughs> Shuey in your pocket. Also,
1: a, a whole nother Dan.
0: Oh, no. <laughs>
1: Third Dan and today. And he's going to
0: move to Wyoming. Um, allegedly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Dan's a – he's a really great guy. And he's done a lot of study of, like, Winchester ammunition. And um, he has uh, a huge – archive of his own of, like, original Winchester documentation, and in that he has ballistic test data cards from the factory from 1916, 1915, um, and it shows all the ammunition that they loaded for the, the for the 345 cartridge that the Burton uses, and this long-standing theory that is, oh, they were making it to fire incendiary ammo, they never actually made any incendiary ammo for it. It was all ball. Or dummy cartridges. Like, that's what they loaded.
0: Well, and then doesn't the... I don't know this because I'm not a gamer, but doesn't the video game that feature it...
1: Right. So then that's the other... So Ian does his video, and that's the first time that Burton starts to get more attention. Yeah, and that's how
0: we kind of figure that video game companies just copy Ian and see... (laughs) Forgotten Weapons and see an arsenal.
1: And then DICE (laughs) puts it in Battlefield 1. And so now, like, everybody in the world that's played that game or seen Ian's video, which is a lot of people, um, they all know that as... The Winchester's balloon buster gun, even though you know maybe they could have been planning to put it for that use, and they just hadn't got around to loading incendiary yeah. cartridges. That's a and possibility. The evidence but, that
0: we don't know about, but
1: but yeah. that's pretty thin to say it definitely was anti-balloon. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anti balloon. <laughs> how could you be anti balloons? They're so fun. <laughs> um, so that's just kind of like an example of too how we go about. Um, and obviously, we can't do this for everything. But when we are looking up, you know, information, how we take what's been kind of colloquially said about it, and then start to try to find the primary source documentation that either supports or refutes it. And uh, it gets it's it's so lonely sometimes <laughs> to be like, nah, that's not true. Yeah. Um, but it is really cool when you find stuff like that. Um, another one that, you know, popped up not too long ago was the Villar Perosa.
1: Oh, you go for that one.
0: No, I wasn't a part of that conversation, oh. Danny.
1: Well, like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you, I can you know you about, that, about the conversation. Uh,
0: so I could summarize Danny's summary of a conversation <laughs> a he had <laughs> with some random people. That's how it starts. People. This is lore This is lore, this is how it starts, yes. <laughs>
1: Uh no, like we were talking about a Villa Prosa and again, a fairly obscure gun made popular recently by online videos, video games, and you know, it starts out life as an aircraft gun because they don't know what's going to work for aircraft and guns yet. They're figuring that out in World War One. And they quickly realize that this gun's not it. <laughs> um but that's how it started out. And I mentioned that, and I definitely got like a no. That's not what it was. It was it was the first submachine gun. I was like, what? Yeah, I mean, what?
0: <laughs> Sorry, wait, what?
1: Well, people make that argument. I've had I've seen this argument come up a, a couple times, but the it's, first submachine gun because it's firing a pistol cartridge and it's a machine gun. Yeah, but I I don't think it's a submachine Hiram gun in use Percy, or
0: Hiram Percy. No, Stevens. Hiram Stevens, Maxon. Theoretically, might have. This is also gun lore because I've never actually seen if it's true. Might have carried a smaller version of his machine gun that was in a pistol caliber to sell people. Since that you, is straight gun lore that I have not corroborated. But since that's cool. you
1: brought up Maxim, I get to bring up my favorite gun lore, even though we can probably say it's definitely not true.
0: Oh, it's not true.
1: But oh, what's his name now? Oh, crap.
0: Uh, uh, this is why we should prep
1: <laughs> this these <is> why. <laughs> so there's a guy. It, you Google it. Yeah. There's a guy in England that um, his, he was a firearms designer and was working on a machine gun, supposedly, and then just like one day up and left his family. And um, the family later claimed that it was actually Hiram Maxim. So they claimed that Maxim was really an English guy that left, went to America, and the gun that he had invented while he was still in England and still a dad um, <laughs> <laughs> um, was actually the Maxim gun, and years later, um, while Maxim was in England, the two sons like went to a train station and like confronted him. And, and we were, like,
0: like, this is how I think it went down. I can just hear them being like, "Papa,"
1: and like, Papa. Th- "Well, that's the story." Like, yeah. they said his name and like "dad" or "father" or something like that, and he I think like it turned. Papa, and he, I'm like,
0: adding to the gun lore now.
1: <laughs> and he like turned to look at them, and was like. Oh, and like walked off. So
0: (laughs) He was like, these these kid's crazy.
1: So that's some gun lore that is completely unsubstantiated.
0: Uh, Yes, and there's something on it that our friend Jonathan Ferguson did uh, Yeah, up at the Royal Armouries. Up is England up?
1: A little. Up and over? Uh, Up and over.
0: Up and over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we've got Mattis, um, gun that won the West. Uh, Burton And Miller. for the gun, the,
1: the one in the West, that one's one that is, that could be like a probably true because we see a oh, lot yeah, of Western themes. We use it all
0: the time and it's, I, I would argue it is very, very true, but I just want the ad to like Right, we just it have not mind.
1: seen the ad. We see lots of other sort of related stuff and they're like talking about being like the Western company. So we yeah. think, oh yeah, that makes sense. It fits, but we've never actually seen the ad.
0: Yeah. Um, what else are we missing that we were supposed uh, to talk oh, about? Oh, we we're going to talk about.
1: Shotguns. Tr- trench guns.
0: Yeah. Trench shotguns weren't used as much as people think they were and there are books written about how they were used a lot.
1: No, the Germans protested shotguns even though they were using mustard gas and (laughs) it was a big deal.
0: Oh my god, that just made me think about like all the Geneva Convention gun lore. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: Fifty BMG is banned. By. Fifty
0: BMG is banned, triangular bayonets nets are banned. Yeah. I yeah. dude yeah. That was a fun day of having to read through <laughs> and like word search the Geneva Conventions and the Hague conventions to see right. if any of that's true. It's not
1: well and just like what's actually in the Geneva one and what's in the Hague like Yeah. Yeah. It's anyways, trench shotguns.
0: Yeah. That's all I have to say.
1: Oh. So the lore for a long time was that the U.S., um, you know, sort of almost like American identity levels. Like we went to war and we were not going to be like those silly Germans and British and French and just like put up with life in the trenches. We were going to overcome that's it. silly. Yes. I said silly.
0: He's... <laughs> silly no. and World War One. Hey.
1: Okay.
0: I stopped listening for a second and that's all I took
1: away from that. Actually, one of my favorite movies is a – very dark humor musical about World War One that I can't remember the title of right now. What about
0: the? I hear that well, this is World War Two, but <laughs> the one Jojo Rabbit is supposedly like a satirical oh, yeah. com- comedy, and it's supposed is amazing. also a great movie? Well, and it like won like, some back. Or whatever it's called. What? Oh, look who's back. Look who's back. That That's it. the one
1: where Hitler, like, time travels to the present. <laughs> oh, God. It's so
0: good. <laughs> it's so good. I think you can watch it on Netflix.
1: I feel like we're getting off topic.
0: <laughs> Iron Sky. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, trench Shotguns. Trench
1: Shotguns. The, the, like, and so the Americans go overseas and we're, you know, natural-born good shots. And we're, like, we do things different. And we got this cowboy attitude. And we take some shotguns <laughs> yeah. with us. And we win the war. But in reality, you know the shotgun thing, and that persisted for a long time. Like we used a bunch of shotguns in the trenches, and it was a super effective gun at close quarters for trench fighting. And
0: no, oh, no, political. Sorry, I was gonna make a joke, but then I, I going to say, did Joe Biden say that? <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't believe so. Sorry, Joe. I'm from Delaware. <laughs> I got take my <laughs> oh, shot. Oh, so that
1: just gives you credit to do anything? Yeah,
0: I just fashion. do it a lot. I'm from I, Delaware. It works. I, I'm not actually from Delaware. I lived there for six years. I don't know why I said that. That <laughs> is gun law right there.
1: Um. So, but then, um, some of our friends, archival research group, C.N. Arsenal, they really dug into this, and what the documentation shows is like really a news reporter got a hold of the army buying shotguns and turned that into a story. And then Army's, like, the Army ordnance officers are, like, there's letters where they're communicating to each other, like, uh, are we using these in the trenches? I just read about this in the paper. And the other guy's, like, no, we're not doing this. Like, And it's back and forth. And it turns out that most of the guns they're buying are ending up for, like, guard duty. And the few that do make it to the trenches, the troops are really mixed on if they like using them or not. Yeah. Like, um, it's, like, of the 20,000 guns they bought, it's less than, like. Probably less than a, it's probably just like a few hundred that actually ever made it to a frontline unit, and uh, and it's two because then people always conflate the Winchester Model 12 and Winchester 1897. It's because I just saw somebody post their Model 12 from like World War One era online, and there were a bunch of comments like, "Oh, that's a trench gun," and like, technically, the army ordered like two Model 12s to be trialed, but that's a big stretch in my book.
0: Yeah. Well and that just made me think of um the one of 1000. Oh yeah. Which is, you know, the... And that's sort of
1: (laughs) company-created lore.
0: That's company-created lore. That's
1: marketing lore. That is.
0: I love marketing lore. I mean, that was... So the Winchester model, uh, model 1873, 76, they did a couple models. But the one of 1,000s is theoretically um, a Winchester where it was the best one of every Mm 1,000. And there's this, like, whole... uh, And I think we've been talking for a while, so I won't go through the whole thing. But there's this whole very detailed explanation as to how... Actually, I've talked about it on camera, so you can go... Listen to that, and then be like, "Actually, you're wrong, because you said you were wrong." <laughs> uh, but there's this whole drawn out process that they claim is, you know, how they got to the one of one thousands and the one of one hundreds, and then they sell the, they upsell the guns because they equip it with better wood furnishings and blah blah blah, all that. So everyone's, oh, well, I think I'm gonna get a lot of people really mad at me for, <laughs> but like you know, and so these these one of one thousands are highly collectible, and then the Winchester seventy three movie. You know, it was about a one of 1,000 and there was the whole wanted campaign to see how many of this one of 1,000s 1, were out there. But when we look at the serial numbers, like there's like the same like there's like consecutive serial numbers that are de- dedicated to one right. of 1,000s. And that's a pretty odd statistic. I mean, I, I'm not a statistician, but that seems like pretty low odds. <laughs> right.
1: And like Winchester made 700,000 1873s and there's like, I think, just over 100.000. One of 1,073. So we're not
0: saying that they didn't do that like process because Winchester says that that is the process they used. But then we found – we had that letter from Edwin Pugsley who like a couple of decades later is like, hey, so I think we did this thing (laughs) that everyone's talking about. Does anybody know anything about it? And everyone's like, no, no. What do you do? What? No. And we know they did it because they had the targets that went with it, right. blah, blah, blah. But, um, and then at the end, Edwin Pugsley says, it's like my favorite thing because he's like, I probably shouldn't admit this because it's great marketing. You know, it's great marketing. But yeah. he's like, it probably had more to do with the ammunition yeah. than the guns themselves. But, hey, if you can say the guns are better and charge 15 to $20 more, you have know, more power to you when, like. Former Winchester. Right. And so like, but that's like, you know, everyone always talks about that. We talk about, you know, the process. But then when you actually look at the serial numbers and, and the right. the numbers and the data on it, it doesn't make sense that, it, it, that they actually followed that procedure.
1: Well, and like, you know, they legitimately, they're like, they're very nicely made guns and they are several grades higher than like a normal Winchester. So Winchester, when they got an order for one, they didn't just like, oh, we're going to write one of 1,000 and say it's a nice gun. They legit, like they made a nice rifle, but... Mm-hmm. I don't think they were taking the time to, like, test, you know, like, actually document this one's the best one out of everything. Because yeah. that would be a huge pain. And the the other half of the lore is that the guns were not really that known until a movie came out. Yeah. And w- a movie that Winchester had a lot to do with. Like, <laughs> like, they make the movie Winchester 73, and they do a big PR campaign to find all these one of 1,000s. And um, that's when collecting them really takes off.
0: Yeah. Um, so I think we've been talking for a long time, but I just want to say two words and then we don't have to explain it, but it's just gun lore, Sarah Winchester. I can't not say it. Uh, Oh,
1: and you can't let us talk about it either. No, because
0: we've talked about it before. That's fine. Yeah. So we could, we'd have a whole episode on ghosts if we want to. (laughs) It's actually, that would be a great episode because like, I remember watching- That should be the next one ghosts I'm all about that I was watching ghost adventures sorry like not too long ago or maybe like a year ago I don't even know and it was on the Winchester Mystery House and like Zach Baggins was like this and I think he was holding like a 92 up or something he's like this is a Winchester, the gun that won the west and it killed millions of people and I was like huh what what now Say what? Like there were like a million made pretty quickly, you know, but like, you know, obviously we could probably also do
1: a whole episode on the gun that won the West. We could, we could,
0: Uh, but you know, it's just kind of interesting that like the stuff, the stuff that goes around that kind of lore of like these guns were used and killed by killed millions of people. And you're just like, that's not even like we would know. We would know, like, you know, <laughs> like there would be a lot more stigma on a witch right. lover action if that were the case. But I had to throw it out there just because my girl, I'm always looking out for her because she's short like me and she's a little arthritis-y and I just think she's wonderful and she doesn't deserve all the crap that gets – that an academic even – Perpetuated that lore. Oh, yeah. So that's a good example of an academic perpetuating the war. Yeah, Pamela absolutely. Hogg being like, I'm not saying it's n- true or not true, but like, I think it's true. If it's you're basically.
1: An, if you are a academic, doctored historian. Doctored. Well, she has a doctorate, I <laughs> PhD, think. Yes. PhD. But when
0: you say doctored, it's like, is it doctored? I don't know. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I gotcha. Maybe. Um,
1: and you're when you are a PhD using ghosts as your footnote like maybe don't
0: ghosts the ghosts told me so that's not actually how she says it but now i'm thinking we're gonna have to tear that book apart in one of these podcasts yeah i think we will i think that's finally our moment yep all right well
1: hope you guys enjoyed it we had fun talking about it yeah this one was a lot of fun
0: so i don't know we'll talk about ghosts at some point i guess (laughs) (laughs) all right talk to you guys later
1: see ya